Rob's Reliability Project, a podcast for maintenance and reliability people to better themselves both at home and at work. Now let's get rolling. Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, I welcome Steve Doby back to the show. Steve recently found a new job in reliability as a reliability engineer at Tech Resources, So I had him on the show to discuss the process of finding a job in reliability. During the interview, I give you some statistics that I pulled together in June from 41 reliability engineer, reliability manager, and reliability specialist postings that I found on Indeed.ca. And if you'd like a copy of those statistics, send me an email, robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com. And I'm happy to share those with you if you missed the original post in June. A few of you have asked me which conferences I'll be attending in 2020. Right now, I have nothing on the books, but I'm hoping to hit the SMRP conference, the Main Train conference, and Ultrasound World. If you have any other conferences that I'm missing, or if you'd like me to speak at an event just send me an email, robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com or send me a LinkedIn message and let me know about the event and I'll see if I can make it work. A few other things, if you haven't yet, check out my website, robsreliability.com and sign up for the weekly reliability newsletter as well as tell your friends about the podcast. It's been picking up recently and and I'm glad that we're able to share the word of reliability across to more people in maintenance and reliability and operations in heavy industry. So I appreciate you guys who are doing that, and I hope you keep enjoying the show. Lastly, if there are any topics you'd like to hear about, questions you want answered, or if you have a person that you'd want to come on the show, just send me an email, robsterliabilityproject at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Now let's get into the interview with Steve Doby. Hey guys, we're back, and this week we have Steve Doby back on. Steve, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you, Rob? I'm doing well. And you know, last time we had you on the show, you were at a different job. So now you're now you're at Tech Resources as a reliability engineer. How's that going so far? Uh, it's it's been going really good. It's a pretty great group of people to work with, and uh, um, lots of new things. It's nice to be in a bit of a bigger organization as well. So yeah, it's going really yep. well. Yeah, that's that's good to hear. And it's something where, you know, like I wanted to have you on obviously today to talk a little bit about finding a job in reliability. And you, as you know, and some of the listeners know, like I've recently started on contract with Enbridge as an asset manager. So do you want to just tell us a little bit about your job search? Yeah, for sure. So it was, you know, um, started with uh, just browsing around LinkedIn is usually the place I start when I I was looking and uh, started seeing a few different things and you know the fly and fly out was getting a little bit tiring for me so I started applying to a few few more and then I um, saw a couple couple in the area here um, where I grew up in the Crossos Pass, Sparwood, Fernie, that kind of area for tech and applied and chatted with a few recruiters and uh, and had a few uh, discussions around a couple jobs and then uh, managed to find this one, which was straight through the tech recruiting group and managed to land it. And it's been going pretty good since, I guess, in a quick nutshell. 
Yeah, no, that's great to hear. And it's something that I guess a lot of people reach out to me on LinkedIn about jobs pretty often. And first thing, I guess I don't have any inside information on jobs. So I wanted to do a podcast about it because I think it's it's definitely helpful for people. Yeah, there's like, I've had a few people with LinkedIn, like come directly to me looking for a job. Um, and I know people like to go to um, hiring managers. I know I've tried messaging people on LinkedIn and I've gotten absolutely nowhere with any of those, uh, those attempts. And like, when people have asked me to do that, I'm like, yeah, I don't really know who you are. I'm not going to necessarily recommend you. I've never met you. <laughs> so it's always <laughs> funny when people try and uh, do that. And I'm certainly guilty of trying it, but it's never worked for me. Yeah, I think that's tough. Like, like I think for me, like I sit in the same boat as you where I don't want to recommend somebody I don't know. But if I do know you, then absolutely reach out and I'm willing to help you. The other thing I, I get that's something is, is people are asking, do I have a job for them? Or this is who I am. Here's my resume. Like, I think it's tough. I, th I think either you have to either add value to the person that you're sending a message to in some way, whatever that is, before you can ask, or you have to know the person directly. Like you have to speak spoken with them before. I'm, I'm not sure being a connection is, is enough of like, I'm connected to a lot of people and I don't know most of them. So <laughs> I think over a thousand people on LinkedIn and you know, every now and again, one of them will message me and like, I'm, I don't know a thousand people. Like if I've met you at a conference or something like that, that's, that's plenty. You can have a bit of conversation, get to know them a little better. And then I have no problem recommending them. But if, you know, you just, just come up and send me a quick message saying, Hey, I need a job. It's, you know, there's a lot of people. I've got a few friends that I know that are looking for jobs that I've more likely to help out than somebody randomly messaging me, right? Yeah, and I, I see, I've seen the same too with me. There's a couple of guys that come out to the mon monthly meetups in Edmonton, and I know they're looking for jobs. And, and if I see a, a good posting or I see something that they might be interested in, I, I typically message them with a link to it. So it is good. And I, I like that is one of my tips. I mean, for me, the kind of the top tip that I have for people who are looking for a job is network. Right. And it's it's just putting your name out there saying, hey, I'm looking and really going out to these events and, and meeting people like for me. I started a meetup in Edmonton. Um, if you're in like if you're in Canada, definitely go to PMAC. They do have meetups in a lot of cities across the country. Like I know there's some in Winnipeg, Calgary. I even saw one in St. John's uh, or St. John, whichever one's in New Brunswick. <laughs> um, so they have them. And, and then obviously there's, there's one in the GTA as well. So if you're in, Canada, check check out PMAC. If you're in the U.S., check out the SMRP because I know they do host some as well. Like I know Paul Crocker does one in, in Kansas City. So they're good to meet people, and that's a good spot to find, at least to meet people who may have an opportunity to give you something or give you a lead. Yeah, for sure. And, like, I was uh, 
guy, I'm a materials engineer, which is a little bit of a different background for reliability people. And uh, just through these like corrosion societies and stuff like reliability is a transferable skill. <laughs> it can go to all sorts of industries and applications and that way of thinking. And so like I joined the, uh, I was part of the um, NACE. I can't remember what the acronym stands for off the top, but it's the corrosion engineers. Um, and I was going to the, their networking events in Edmonton and like the people I met there were giving me lots of support. So just any technical group does, doesn't have to be reliability and maintenance specific. Right. Yeah. So, so I guess in Edmonton, yeah, there's, there's some more events. I know the American society for quality puts on some events. I don't think they're monthly, but they may be quarterly or twice a year. Those are some good ones. There's the STLE has a few as well. And then there's even the RATS, so the Rotating and Turbo Machinery Society, so they even host them as well. So definitely check your, any any really technical group. I mean, just, just Google around and, and check those out. Now, one thing that was interesting, you mentioned that uh, reliability is a transferable skill between industry and one thing I wanted to just mention, so I, I did post in June, I believe, I did I did do a review of about, I think it was 41 job postings across Canada that were for reliability engineer, reliability specialist, and reliability manager, director, or superintendent. And the number one, well, there was two things. So the big things that stood out to me the number one was over 90% required an engineering degree or a PNG. And the other thing was around 80% of them mentioned that you need to have that specific industry experience. So like obviously for you working in mining, you would say, hey, you have to have worked in a mine before. What was your kind of experience when you were looking with those? Yeah, that was the... Uh... Oh, that was a trouble I had. So um, I was living in Victoria and I was uh, really wanted to stop doing the fly and fly out. So I was looking for a job based around there. And uh, a lot of what I got was I don't have marine experience, which, you know, fair enough. I don't have marine experience. It was, uh, I've looked at oil samples from a few boats, but other than that, it hasn't been all that much. Um, and then, but it was also the same thing with mining. So, you know, I had a bit of mining experience since I did my summers starting at at tech and uh you know that's really what seemed to open the doors to a lot of the mining companies and that's where i had a lot of a little bit of interest when i first went to uh, imperial metals and then as soon as i was at the operation so even though a lot of what i was dealing with was well results and the way of thinking was the same between you know where i was at fluid life and then as soon as you get that industry specific experience so getting to a mining company, then it just seemed like the floodgates opened a little bit and there was quite a bit more interest, um, certainly within the BC mining world for me. Um, that being said, breaking into that that industry at the beginning, you know, when I was looking at the marine industries, I was looking at some junior positions just to get that bit of experience. And then being I have more experience, I should be able to prove myself pretty quickly. Um so there was a few different trains of thoughts with that. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It was actually, for me, doing that review of the jobs, 
it really opened my eyes to, I think, well, one is, is the people who are writing the job postings, I'm not sure they necessarily understand reliability. And then this, the second thing is just those, those sort of common misconceptions that I see. And like, you know, industry experience is one. Some people think that there should be a broad, like you should try to get a broad range of experience on your team so then you can kind of have different perspectives. Obviously, other companies believe that, you know, if, if you're working in mining, that you should have done mining. There is something to that, I think, but I do also see kind of both points of view there. Yeah, like for me, I like, um, w- would my team consists of a variety of people, you know, I, um, working with mathematicians, you get a much more detailed review of the statistics and other things that I, I wouldn't have even thought of where, you know, I might have that more mechanical background to kind of support the more advanced analytics working with them. Um, and then you have, you start working with people that come from like the power industry, oil and, um, drilling and other oil and gas. And, you know, you start bringing these different ways of thinking in, and then you can start to take the best of each of them and come to something completely new. It's mining reliability engineers just stick with mining reliability engineers then you're not going to get any better you got to go outside of your immediate scope of people and industry to get those ideas yeah it's 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 pretty interesting and i guess another one that kind of popped out to me as well is around 50 percent of the jobs required some sort of cmms experience and it's not just general like CMMS, it would say must have experience with Maximo or must have experience with SAP. And I I thought to me, like that was a little bit, I guess it was a little bit interesting and I'm not as sure I agree with it. I I feel sort of once you use one, they're all very similar, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, you know, I've worked with a lot of different CMMSs, you know, Uh, they all have a somewhat unique maybe workflow and process flow throughout the system but ultimately they're trying to accomplish the same thing and yeah there's a bit of a learning curve every time you start a new job but at the same time it doesn't matter where you go if they have sap you might know the separate transaction codes for where you'd normally go but sap is an sap everybody has a different variant everybody's been upgraded to a different level um some people have different add-ins to the cmms like it doesn't matter. Like I've worked with SAP, but if I go to a new company, their SAP, it's going to be the same learning curve as if I had never used SAP before. Yeah, that's true. And I guess another one for me is, is the certifications. Like a lot of people, they'll ask, they'll ask me what certifications I recommend, or they'll ask me something like, how do I pass the CMRP? During that job review, CMRP was the number one or the leading one that was mentioned on the job postings, but it was only about 20% of the time. So really not, really not that strong. There were other ones that were mentioned specifically. So vibration was about 15%. Oil analysis, just under 10. Thermography, just under 10. Ultrasound, just under 10. Six Sigma, Lean, CI certifications, about 10 as well. Then PMP, 
maybe 7 or 8%. CRE, about 5%. MMP, so, somewhere between 0 and 5 And then CLS was mentioned once. That's about it. So I, I'm not sure exactly what that tells us. It just tells us that right now CMRP is the most well-recognized PDM experience is valuable, but it depends on, I guess, the job itself. Yeah, I think I, I think people are looking more for the professional development aspect. Is this person a continual learner? And you know, certifications help with that. Um, me, I'm personally not a huge fan of certifications, just because it's usually pretty dependent on your test writing abilities, um, which. There's obviously a varying degree of those. Um, there, I know a lot of smart people that can't pass the test, but they know well more than the subject and that they didn't get the, the designation for, right? Um, so I think they're just, I, I really think they're just looking for, is this person continually developing himself or is he just, just content just doing the same thing day in and day out? Nobody hires somebody new to just not bring new ideas in. And if they're not doing professional development, then probably not going to have a lot of new ideas yeah no i i definitely agree and i think that there's i mean there's definitely something to that and and it's it could be small stuff like i i think that definitely networking is a good tip definitely obviously if you're listening to this show you're doing some professional development as well it's hard for people to I suppose it's hard for you to signal to job recruiters that you're you're listening to this podcast, but it's it's definitely something that you should be doing. Reading books, absolutely. Going to conferences, absolutely. So there's a lot there that you can be doing. You know, it's it doesn't always have to be forced either. Like um, I've been in a few interviews and they've just asked me like, "Well, what do you do for professional development?" And I I mentioned I'm like, "Well, you know, I I've gone on this Rob's reliability." project i think is what you're called now sorry i almost used your old name uh <laughs> and uh you know i listened to that and you know i've brought that up before in interviews and i've had the question people are like there's podcasts for maintenance and reliability uh and like they're they're genuine genuinely surprised like they've never thought of going to a podcast venue for getting any professional development oh we're big time now baby <laughs> oh yeah so uh, i guess Moving on, I, I kind of wanted to to touch on some common mistakes that people make. Do you do you have any that really stand out to you? So a lot of people they think they're a lot more special than they actually are. Um, they think their resume is amazing, um, but this is you know particularly for people coming in new to an industry. There's hundreds of people with a resume exactly like them. Uh, you know I've spoken to a couple engineering groups coming out of university i'm like look every single one of your colleagues that are coming out and graduating with you your guys's resumes all look the same so it's going to be it's going to be tough to get that first job and how you set yourself apart is that interview um once you can nail that interview it's about being interesting and it's not about whether or not you can do the work you've got an engineering degree it's obvious you're way you're capable of doing work um What's important is, am I going to enjoy working with this person? Make yourself more personable. Um, for me, I actually had a really hard time interviewing. Um, and I kept getting interviews, wasn't getting too many jobs, and I couldn't understand why I wasn't getting it. And finally, it was actually the recruiter that recruited me for Fluid Life 
uh, he was like, look, he's like, you know, I have no doubt you can't do this job, but you're kind of boring to talk to. <laughs> he's like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to call you back tomorrow. Here's the f- like five things I want to work on. He's like, um, make yourself more interesting. When they ask, ask you a question, tell us about yourself. Don't just tell them about work experience, you know, bring the person to the work experience and make them seem like uh, you're somebody that's going to want to help. Um, and then he gave me a few other tips, you know, about like, don't rush things. Uh, I, I tend to talk really fast, um, slow it down a little bit and make sure you're understanding. The other thing, um, active listening is really important. So when an interviewer asks you a question, rephrase the question back to them. Don't repeat exactly what they say, but rephrase it so that you, uh, it's understood that you understand the question and then answer the question. Um, that can be a bit of a tricky skill and takes takes actually quite a bit of practice. Um, I don't certainly don't do it all the time, but it's a really good skill even after you're hired, whenever you're having a conversation with someone to do that active listening. Um, yeah, those are kind of the my three main tips. Um, kind of rambled through them. <laughs> no, it's good. I I really wanted to. I really wanted to kind of jump off something you said there about, you know, reiterating the question. One of the mistakes I think I've made multiple times during interviews is, I assume that the interviewer knows as much about reliability as I do, or at least it's probably a product of this show also, right? Is when, when I speak to guests on this show, they're all experts at what they do. So we can talk at an expert level. And I find sometimes in the first round of an interview, when you're talking with HR, they'll ask you sort of a basic reliability question or tell me about this or that. And I, I jump right in and I'm speaking at a, a fairly, I wouldn't say high level, but like a, you know, a, a level that us as reliability people would understand. And then at the end of it, I get kind of this, okay. And, and it's like, it's clear the person didn't understand what, what I was speaking about. And I think that it's, it's really, it's, I guess it's that tip that we've talked about many times on the show is speak to your audience. Recently, I've really started trying, well, not that I'm interviewing right now, but when I, when I speak to HR people now, I really try to go into it at the first principle level. So when I speak about maintenance, you know, I talk about changing light bulbs and flat tires, right? Like for random failure amounts and, and all this stuff. And it, it's really important to, if, if you can make it easy and relatable and understandable to them, then they have full confidence in you. It's not about necessarily being the most technical guy. It's about just making it clear. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, it's, if you can get, when you're talking to that HR person, if you're not making sense to them, they might think, how is he going to make sense to the other people he's dealing with within the company? Like a lot of people like to pet, kind of brush off HR as being HR, you know, I probably won't have to deal with them all that much when I'm actually in the job, but they are the gatekeepers to you getting that job. You want to make sure that they understand you that you're getting your point across and 
they feel like they've been heard in the hiring process. Otherwise, you're not going to get any further. Absolutely. Another few tips, or I think I think another few mistakes that I, I see. The first one I want to talk about is only looking at salary and not the entire package. And when I say the entire package, I don't just mean the, you know, the RRSP or the 401k and the health benefits and that stuff. I also mean stuff like where are you located? Who's your boss? What company are you working for? Is there going to be lots of travel? Is there going to be no travel? Those types of benefits as well. So that's the whole package. And I found when I was applying for jobs, location mattered a lot to me. So I did turn down a few jobs that weren't or I didn't apply to a, a fair amount of jobs that were either fly in, fly out, or located somewhere I didn't want to live. So I think it's something that people don't look at that they should. Yeah, you're 100% right. I, th- I think the next one for me that I want to mention is taking the first offer that you get. Um, there's two aspects to this. The first one is... Just because a company offers you quickly doesn't necessarily mean they're a good fit for you. It also doesn't necessarily mean that they're somewhere you want to work. So recruiting is a two-way street, and I think that you have to view it as such. That, that goes in the interview as well, right? So a lot of the times at the end of the interview, they'll ask you something like, hey, do you have any questions for us? Yes. <laughs> Bring questions, prepare questions. I'm not saying bring a list of 10 questions, but definitely bring a list of two or three and really put the like put the interviewer to the test. What's the culture like? How's it like to to work for this company? You know, like what's this job actually going to do? Um, another one I like to to ask a lot is, you know, with this role, What are the, within the next year, if you had your absolute rock star, superstar candidate, what would they accomplish within the first year? And it gives you a picture of just like, what do they expect from you? What do, what are they looking for? What are you going to be your top deliverables? And I think it it really tells you something about the manager. I mean, obviously you can't ask that to the HR manager or the HR person, But if you can ask that to the hiring manager or the guy who's going to be your manager in that role, it's going to really help you understand what are they looking for? Does the guy actually, is it somebody that you want to work for or are those tasks that you want to do? I think it's a pretty, pretty insightful question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, you know, the other important thing to really remember when you're interviewing is they're not just interviewing you, you're interviewing them. You're interviewing them. Are they a good fit? Is this where I want to work? Is the culture good? You know, um, and your question is is perfect for understanding that. And understanding is okay. Are there expectations? Am I going to be able to meet that expectation? Then you can think critically about the job. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I also, I, I mean, for me, I'm kind of a nit too. So I have turned down jobs because the hiring manager was late to the call multiple times or there was just some signs like that where it just didn't sit with me right. And I think it says something about the culture. And I do also believe that 
hiring managers will do the same to candidates. So I don't think it's necessarily just just about being, you know, being too tight about something or, you know, the guy has to be exactly on time. But it, it was like they rescheduled the call a bunch of times and then the guy still was late or, you know, stuff like that where you just go, there's something here that's not working correctly and I don't want to work in an environment where that's how it's going to be. Yeah, for sure. I completely agree. You know, I've, I've turned down jobs too, cause you know, I, the manager asked me a question or kind of made an offhanded comment that I was like, Oh yeah, you know, this is a sign of potentially something else. And I was like, you know, I know, know a couple other people that work there and it sounds like a great place. But you know, for me, when I, when it was asked, I'm like, you know, it's, maybe this one isn't for me you know it's it's hard to do that especially when you have only one offer on the table to say okay maybe this one isn't the one um but if you can do that and you know it's it's delayed gratification being patient and you know your dream job might might come up sooner than later yeah that that's a great point right like your job your dream job might come up and i think there's something there too i i see some people who are looking for jobs and it, it takes a long time. Like I was out of work for, uh, would have been four or five months. And even <laughs> it was funny, like even after I got the offer and I live in Edmonton, so it literally was, you know, the office is 30 minutes from my house. Right. And it's, it still took me, I think it was three and a half weeks before I started. So things, things take time. And for most of the listeners, if you're working, you've ever worked anywhere, it it takes time. And so it's not about, like, you just have to be patient. You, you have to figure out a way to stay positive about it because it does get frustrating. Like, when I when I actually pulled my own statistics for not not the, the job postings, but the actual, like, how many jobs I applied for, what percentage did I get a phone call, what percentage did I get an interview? What percentage did I get an offer? I was actually shocked. I was really shocked that I I think I was like around 30% interviews based on my application. And I it really doesn't feel that way. <laughs> like it feels like you're applying into an abyss and then you'll get these emails every once in a while, the auto-generated one, which is like, Sorry, we didn't accept you to the next round of so and so company, but I don't know. I I think it's it's hard to get, it's hard to stay positive on those. But you you just have to figure out something to keep going. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, you know, the, the biggest thing: don't give up. Um, sometimes you do have to adjust your expectations. Um, I found applying to jobs in and around Victoria, the the salary scale isn't what I was accustomed to in mining. And so like my wife and I, we had to have a pretty serious discussion. And like, do we actually want to stay in Victoria? Um, the answer is yes. Okay. This is what the wages are in and around here. Is that going to be feasible? And so, you know, that, that actually ended up really playing a big role into the job selection. And um, I did have to turn one down that I was really excited for just because, you know, the wage just, unfortunately wasn't wouldn't have been sustainable for my family situation um and so you got to really think about a few of those things as well like money certainly not everything 
but none of us are working for free either, right? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> so I, I guess one thing I, I want to just ask you here before we get out of here, like, do you have any top tips? Like, like if people are listening and they're looking for a job right now, do you have any tips that you want them to really take, take away from this? Yeah. Like, you know, we, we touched on a few of them. Number one, networking, build that network and not just through random messages on LinkedIn, go to networking events, have face-to-face time. Those face-to-face networking events are also great interview practice because you can practice the, um, you know, what makes you interesting or tell, tell me a bit about yourself. You can practice those questions and you can ask those questions to what other people say. Um, great tool, those networking events. The other one, active listening. And again, this one takes practice. Um, read up about it. Practice it on somebody. Um, go and talk to an interviewing specialist like my university had. People where you could go and talk to and they could do mock interviews for you or do it with your friend um, to really see if you've mastered that skill because it is a really hard one, but it's immensely valuable in an interview and in your work life. Um, and then the third one is, you know, be a person, just don't be a, be a resume. When you're in your interview, again, talk about you, talk about why they'd want to work with you and make sure that you want to work with them. Yeah, those are, those are some great tips. And I, I really think that, you know, it's that, it's that old expression about, you know, people want to hire who they would like to hang out with or if they were trapped in an elevator with you for an afternoon, like would it be the worst thing in the world? Those types of things, there there is something behind those. And it, I'm not saying, you know, you'll go have to go and tell jokes the whole interview, but definitely showing off your personality a little bit is, is never a bad thing. Yeah. Well, you know, when they ask that question, what's your hobby? Have an answer, even if you don't. Like that's actually one of my favorite questions that I have gotten in a few interviews lately because, you know, I, I enjoy Netflix. Uh, <laughs> haven't had a, <laughs> you know, video games don't ever seem to be a great statement for a hobby. Like I've obviously got other things I do in there too, but ever since I had a kid, it's just been, uh, you know, I have a two year old at home. So that takes most of my time. Gets a good laugh. Uh, everybody understands, well, at least people with kids, you're probably shaking your head right now, Rob. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, you know, there, there's just, you know, think of the questions you're going to be asked and come up with an answer. If humor is your thing, add a bit of humor to it. If it's not your thing, then, you know, uh, just figure out a, a good way to phrase your, your responses. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of resources out there. If you just go on Google and search something like what are some common interview questions, there's a lot of those top 10 lists that they'll give you those standard questions that you'll get on HR. There are some other ones that you'll get in reliability that, you know, stuff like what's the difference between, you know, preventive maintenance or predictive maintenance, or they'll ask you about RCM or root cause analysis. A lot of those, they're, they're pretty standard sort of technical questions. And so those ones, obviously you have to know your stuff, right? So that's why you're listening to this show. But definitely get some, just just practice, just prepare. It's it's really for me. It's it's no different than any skill, right? It's you can learn to get better at literally any skill you want to. It's just a practice thing. It's just a repetition thing. And the more you practice, and the better you get at interviewing and job searching, the more options you're going to have in your future. 
we should change this show to a to a job interview show. <laughs> Next week on Rob's Reliability Podcast, uh, mock interview. <laughs> Rebrand the show. <laughs> well, I, I mean, it is something though. I, I really do think that, for me at least, doing this show over the last year and a half or so, it's really tightened my game in terms of speaking about reliability, like not only have I been able to talk to experts across the industry about a bunch of different topics, but it also helps me sort of refine my thoughts on each one of those topics as well. So not that I'm saying start a podcast, but start a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the last thing for me that I want to just mention or or – no, I guess we already a little bit talked about it, but I wanted to give you a few more. I had them written down. Uh, I wanted to give you a few more questions that I ask at the end of the interview. And, and those are, what are your greatest reliability challenges now? And what are you doing about them? That's another one that I like to ask. And the reason I like to ask it is, are they expecting you to come in and solve that problem? Or are they currently working on it? If they're currently working on it, what are they actually doing? It'll give you an, kind of a window into their thought processes about reliability and whether they actually are trying to solve the problem or they're just, you know, like bl blanket doing five whys on everything or, you know, they're just running around doing reactive maintenance. The, 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 yeah, the last question is, you know, what's the, what's the maintenance culture like? And how are the relationships between operations, maintenance, reliability, and management? I think there's a lot there to piece apart. And hopefully their answer is more than just like, oh, it's great. But there's like, it's really difficult to work in a toxic culture. And it's something that you, I'm sure you don't want to, and I don't want to. And so if you can get kind of an insight into that culture it's going to be really helpful for you in your decision whether you want to pursue that opportunity or not. Yeah, those are great questions. Um, it, it's so important to understand where they're at before you get into something. You know, we both have a few friends and Ben and myself too where we've gotten into a, a working for a place and you thought they were at a different state than they actually were just because you didn't ask, where are you right now? You just made assumptions, right? Yeah, it's it's important. And, and I guess one other thing I want to mention, and this one actually my dad sort of mentioned to me when I was after a few of the interviews where I was like, it didn't, you know, some of these things didn't really add up. And he kind of said it like this is like a job interview is like a first date. And the company that's hiring you, they're trying to present their best face. And you're trying to present your best face. And, and it's really, it's just really about, can you see either through some of the, the facade that they're putting up and really get down into the nuts and bolts? And I, and I really, I think that you will come out, sometimes you'll come out of interviews and you'll say, oh, I bombed it and you'll get an offer. And some of them you'll come out and you'll say, that was really great. And you won't get an offer because of something else. And so it's really just a matter of 
keep going, keep applying, keep networking, and something will come up. There's just it's just a probability game, right? Yeah, and you know, I for what I saw in my search, there's a lot of people looking for reliability professionals. Every, everyone seems to say that, and yet it's still hard to find a job. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. Sometimes you have to expand that uh, location you're willing to go, but uh, there's certainly opportunity out there. It's just uh, maybe doing something a little different, looking a little bit, changing your search strategy online to see if you can come across anything else. And that's, I guess, another thing I want to mention is just you can you can use social media to open up opportunities, right? So it's not necessarily about spamming people your resume or asking them to to uh, be your reference if you don't know them. But if you post insightful things or you comment insightful comments and you show that you're like you actually know what you're talking about, it will open up opportunities for you that might not be, you know, it might not be a job in the short term, but it will be or it could be eventually. Yeah. Or, you know, come on Rob's podcast. That's right. And so, yeah, I guess we're going to have to wrap up soon. So, Steve, do you have anything to plug? Are you going to be at any conferences coming up? Obviously, right now you're a reliability engineer at Tech. So if anyone wants a job at Tech, just email Steve. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, yeah, do you have anything to plug? Uh, not really. I've got a couple podcasts uh, coming up with some uh, some other great folks. Um, I don't have their names off the top, but uh, watch for my LinkedIn, and I'll be linking those for sure as well. And, again, LinkedIn, just follow me. I don't post a ton, but I try to post those insightful things every now and again. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, other than that, not, not much is going on in my world. <laughs> no, I. Uh, that's good to hear. And it's you, you're welcome to plug the other podcasts on this show. Uh, I'm good friends with both of those podcasts. And you're talking about the, I think it's the Masterminds and Maintenance podcast with, with Ryan Chan from Upkeep. And then you're talking about the, I believe it's the Reliability X podcast with George Williams and Joe Anderson. So both of those shows are pretty good as well. So definitely, if you're looking for more reliability content, check those ones out. Yeah, absolutely. I'm pretty sure those are the ones. Uh, so stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and for me, I don't have any other conferences coming up this year, but I am looking for... 2020. So if you have a good conference that you want me to come out to, shoot me an email, robsreliabilityproject at gmail.com. And if you haven't yet, subscribe to Rob's Reliability Project podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And we'll see you all next week. Thanks, Rob.